there's a, a passage. Well, I say passage. It's a single verse. So there's a verse. John 19.30. And it's, it's a verse you may not have memorized, but when I share it in a moment, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I've heard that. Because everyone's heard this. And this morning, not to ruffle any feathers, but I, I feel this verse in particular weighing on my heart as if God is saying, yes, you know it, but you don't live like it. So what is John 19.30? Jesus is on the cross, and what does he say? It is finished. As he was hanging on the cross, he noticed that all things had been done, and he said, it is finished. This morning, I want us to really understand that, to really grasp that, that it is finished. So I'm going to tell you a few stories. We're going to jump around. We're going to look at Isaiah's life. We're going to talk a little bit about Paul because anytime I can weasel Paul into a sermon, I'm going to. It was, uh, it was junior high. I, um, I was at an away basketball game, you know, and, and if any of you ever played competitive sports, you know that when you're at an away game, it's especially awful, especially if, if you don't really do good at sports. I know, I, I'm, I'm tall, yes, I'm 6'5", and everyone asked me, John, were you, like, were you like a lineman in football or something? I was like, nope, baseball was my sport. Uh, so uh, imagine someone who enjoys baseball playing basketball, and you've got me, um, which is to say, not at all. And so uh, this is this away game, and, and the, we're, we're charging down the court to get to the basket, and uh, I go up for a layup, and I get fouled right as the buzzer sounds. I know this sounds like a fake movie story, but trust me, it's not going to make me sound or seem really cool by the end of it. So I get fouled, but the buzzer has gone off, so the game's over. But I get to take my free throw. Looking forward to this. Um, and, and because it's the end of the game, the court is cleared, right? So, so I'm there by myself. You want to feel pressure? Stand on the court by yourself at an away game where the crowd is going crazy in middle school. Okay. I, I already wasn't a great free thrower, but you know what I learned that day is like pressure will make that even you know, worse. <laughs> and I, I know what you're thinking. Did you make the shot? It doesn't matter to the story, really. Thank you. Yeah. It, it, I don't think we need to go there. Um, <laughs> no, I bricked it, like, like bricked it, okay? And, and it's, it's one of those things, like, you, you got the ball, you know, you're dribbling, and it's like, you know, like you, you go up for the shot, and you get the ball about right here, and suddenly it turns into a medicine ball, okay? If, if, if you haven't experienced a medicine ball, they weigh like 40 pounds, okay? And they're about the size of a basketball. So imagine trying to free throw a 40-pound basketball, okay? What I learned that morning, evening, whatever, is that pressure can take a really poor free thrower and make them even worse. Kind of turns you into a shot putter, right? Like, <clears throat> the weight of that ball was staggering. I had a mentor one time, he uh, uh, was, was a pastor, served uh, his church for, gosh, I want to say about 30 years in the same place. As he was turning 70, don't mind me as I pull things out of my backpack. As he was turning 70, he decided it was time to retire. And so uh, they had a beautiful service, and, and he, he retired, and they, they had cake because every, everybody loves cake. Uh, or pie, if, if you like pie, there's space in heaven for you still. <laughs> I like pie, I'm kidding. Um, and so they, they had this, this great celebration of, of his service, and then what happens the following week? 
he had to go to church, like, like you guys, like just sitting there and getting to just kind of soak in everything. And, and it was so weird, him and his wife coming to the same church they had served in for 30 years and then just sitting in the pew like normal people. I'm, I'm not normal. It's, it's very weird what I do. And so he, uh, uh, he gets there, and, and he, he shared with me this story of how as he was sitting there and the lights faded down and the music started to swell, he felt this, this weight. He described it like a 5,000-pound weight that was hanging around his neck just lift off, a, a weight that he didn't even realize he was carrying, the weight of ministry. You know, if I'm being honest, I, I feel that weight sometimes. Or, or to put it a, a more accurate, truthful way, I feel that weight all the time. See, when you're in school, people talk about this. It's the appropriate weight of ministry, this understanding that, that what we're doing here is talking about eternity, right? So there, there should be a weight to it, right? No. There shouldn't. Uh, there's a, a book by Stephen uh, Brown. It's called, actually, no, it's Paul David Tripp. I got a lot of books I'm talking about today, sorry. Paul David Tripp wrote a book called Dangerous Calling. And, and in it, he describes that weight and what it can do to you. And so I have a, a, a passage from that book that I'm going to read to you. Um, and if I can uh, pull it up, let me set it up. So, so Paul David Tripp in this passage is talking about a friend of his that was uh, uh, serving at a church. And the senior pastor one day walks into their Monday morning staff meeting. And as I was reading this passage, I was like, <sighs> because we have a Monday morning staff meeting at this church. And, uh, and, and thankfully, he, he wasn't saying that Monday meetings are, are of the devil. Uh, but he, he had a not-so-great experience. This is, if, you, if you don't know, if you haven't like, worked in a church, the, the Monday morning meeting is really just what went well last week, what could we have done better, and what are we going to do in the week ahead, right? You're just kind of setting the tone. And we try to keep it quick. Uh, one thing I actually love after coming from like, corporate America is our meeting is scheduled for an hour, and it lasts 25 minutes. Instead of having a stand-up meeting for 15 minutes that goes on for two and a half hours, it's amazing. Um, it, people just don't like meetings here, and, and I could not be more happy about it. So, so in this book, Dangerous Calling, Paul David Tripp uh, tells, tells this. So uh, this, this pastor went into his Monday morning staff meeting, uh, and, and this, this is what he said. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't deal with the pressures of ministry. I can't face preaching another sermon. I can't deal with another meeting. If I'm honest... I just have to say that all I want to do is leave. I want to leave the ministry. I want to leave this area. I want to leave my wife. No, there's been no affair. I'm just tired of pretending I'm someone I'm not. I'm tired of acting like I'm okay when I'm not. I'm tired of playing as if my marriage is good when it's the polar opposite of good. I can't preach this coming Sunday. I have to get away. I've got to get alone or I'm going to explode. I'm sorry to lay it on you this way, but I'm done. I'm sorry. I have to go. And with that, he walked out. Whew. You might ask yourself, how could someone get to that point? It's easy. Convince themselves that the weight is appropriate. Feel that weight. I feel it every week when I have to get a sermon ready for the youth or for the young adults. Wednesdays, Tuesdays, they, they come along with alarming regularity. It's almost like it's every week. I feel that weight when a family asks me to, 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 to be with them as, as they cope with the loss of a child that I have known for years myself. Feel that weight when someone whose, whose marriage is falling apart gives me a call and says, John, can you, 
Can you just talk to us? Couples that I've known for years whose marriages are disintegrating. I feel it. I feel that weight when I, when I look at, at tithes and offerings and, and giving, and then I think about the missionaries we support. I feel that weight and that pressure to do a good job. Because I convinced myself that that weight was appropriate. This past Thursday, I, I actually reached one year at Pine Castle. I, I've been here for just over a year now. It's, it's crazy. Thank you. And it's, it's my 12th year of church ministry, and I can tell you right now, what I'm going to share with you this morning is like a part two to the first sermon that I preached for you guys last December, where I talked about the indwelling Christ, because this is the other part of that, that thing that I learned four or five years ago, that if I hadn't, I would have been done. I would have never even made it to these doors. I would never have tried to get a job at this church. I would have never preached a single sermon to you if I hadn't learned what I'm about to share. I'm not some great, awesome theologian. I'm pretty good, though. <laughs> but God is good, right? And he speaks to us, and he loves us, and he cares for us so much. So, so here's what we're going to do. We are going to really zoom through the first five points. And I mean like record time, guys, because they're important and I want to, to honor the time that, well, that I put into making these notes, but then everyone who, who made the slides and then the, the bulletin, and, and I want you guys to, to get that. But the first five points are really just foundational to the final one. And, and really the first five, I'm not expecting any pushback. If you have some, awesome, like let's talk, but I'm not expecting any pushback. The last point, it's, it's going to take some, some chat. So, so don't look at the little bottom thing where it says answers in case you missed them. Don't cheat and figure out what point six is because I want you to, to hear me until we get there, right? I don't want you to like read point six and then be like, what is he talking about? And then not listen to anything that I'm talking about. So uh, today we're talking about Isaiah. His name means God is salvation. God is salvation. The prophets are scary to a lot of people because they're full of, well, doom and gloom, right? Like, like nowadays we would talk about someone being a fire and brimstone preacher, right? But the prophets are, are full of that, but they're also full of grace and hope and love. One of my favorite things about the story of Jonah is right at the very end when Jonah finally comes clean about why he didn't want to help the Ninevites, what does he say? I didn't want to do it, God, because I know that you're a God of grace and relentless love, and that if you told me to tell them that you would save them, you'd actually do it. <sighs> so when people try and convince you that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament, throw Jonah at him or talk to him nicely. That's probably what Jesus would like you to do. But, but grace and love, like they're not just hinted at in the Old Testament. They are called by name time and time again. And Isaiah is a really long book, like 66 chapters long. You could do a whole year on Isaiah. I say that because Scott's not here, so it's not going to happen. <laughs> we could, though. We could easily, easily talk about Isaiah for a year, one chapter to a week. That'll get you like, a, like 18 months almost. So let's, let's, let's just kind of walk through this, uh, like I said, uh, very, very quickly. Um, so so the, the, the PC share was about legalism, right? And, and the counterbalance to, to legalism is the, the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, which is where we're going to eventually land this sermon. So I'm, I'm giving you a little bit of that binocular view. When we get to the end of the sermon, we're landing on the grace and mercy of Christ. But we're starting with the Old Testament. Why? Because in the Old Testament, God gave us like over 600 laws and said, here you go, do that perfectly. There's going to be an exam, but hey, you have all of the answers. You can't miss a single question. And as long as you get it right, you're in heaven. How'd the Israelites do? Eh, they bricked it. But Jesus had a plan. He was going to come, right? 
God, in my opinion, designed it that way so that we would recognize our need for the cross and our need for him. Anyway, I said we're going to get through the first five points quickly, and then I keep going on tangents. So this sermon is called What If I Told You? Mainly because I'm a big fan of comic books and superheroes, and Marvel's doing a series right now called What If? And uh, I didn't want to just say what if and get sued, so it's what if I told you. Point number one, that God wants you to rest. What if I told you that God wants you to rest? Not convince yourself you need to carry an appropriate weight. Where do we read that? We read that in Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. What does he talk about in that passage? Talks about rest. It's right there. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is filled with an appropriate weight. Light. My burden is light. Jesus wants us to rest. He doesn't want us to kill ourselves. God is not glorified when Christians burn out. He wants us to rest. He himself rested. He modeled it for us because he knew we weren't good at it. Because he knew that some of us are workaholics, we're perfectionists. At least I am. Point number two. What if I told you that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to help us keep his commands. Why do I say that? Two reasons. One, chapters didn't exist when John wrote the gospel. Uh, and, and so we put a break there. We put a header there in John 14 that, that didn't exist when John was writing John. And so the, 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 the beginning of it with that passage, it's uh, John 14, 15 through 17. John 14, 15 is easy. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I imagine, you know, Jesus had a deep voice. Probably just like Morgan Freeman. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then when you're reading your Bible, there's a big old break. But John didn't see it that way. He, he said that, that Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I'm going to ask the Father. And what's he going to do? He's going to send you a helper so that he may be with you forever. The helper is a spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. By the way, I'm sending you a helper. I'm sending you a helper. I had a pastor one time who said that if you put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, any word sounds funny. And so when you're reading that passage, we don't get to see italics, right? We don't get to see where Jesus really enunciated that sentence. And so I think a lot of us here, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know when I read that passage? I hear Jesus say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I'm going to help you. Don't worry about it. Don't stress yourself out. He's not saying that if you ever sin, you don't really love God because where is that backed up anywhere else in Scripture, guys? Nowhere. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I'm going to help you do it because I'm sending someone who's going to live inside of you. And he didn't reveal it yet, but he was going to live inside of us too. You got two-thirds of the Trinity in there, folks. That's pretty good, two out of three. That's better than I did on a lot of tests in school. Speaking of three, point number three. Did you like that segue? <laughs> what if I told you that he has redeemed you for free? Redeemed you for free. In this one, we actually get a pull straight out of Isaiah. Uh, 43, verses 1 and 2. But now this is what the Lord says. He who is your creator, Jacob, and he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. No flame shall burn you. That sounds like grace to me. 
That sounds like comfort to me. That sounds like help to me. Can anyone read that passage and, and feel like God wants to flood the earth again? Can you read that passage and, and then tell yourself that, ah, I made a mistake. He doesn't love me anymore. I'll take your silence as an answer. We're just getting started, by the way. Point number four, that God desperately desires restoration for you. Restoration. This is also in Isaiah. It's in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Come now, let us debate your case. I'm going to pause right there because the, the whole other like, part of Isaiah chapter 1 is Isaiah telling the Israelites all the things they're doing wrong. Right? He doesn't shy away from calling them out because that's what he's supposed to do. He's a prophet. He speaks the words that God has given him to God's people. And so basically the, the entire first like 17 verses, they're all like, you're doing really bad. But then let us debate your case. God says to us, Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall become as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I'm free. Now I see, sorry. There you go, I'm not perfect. I ruined it, I'm sorry, I'll go. Right, So, so if, if, if this is in the Old Testament, then maybe we can recognize that God has always been a God of grace. He's always been a God of rest. He's always been a God of restoration. He's always been a God of redemption. He's always been a God with a plan, a plan for you, a plan for me, and a plan for all of our mistakes. We're not catching God off guard when we mess up. Sometimes I think he's actually sitting up there like, wow, good job, John. A little bit of a chuckle. Sometimes I feel like we think God is this angry kid on an anthill with a magnifying glass. I don't read that anywhere. New Testament, Old Testament, doesn't matter. I constantly see passages like this. Though your sins are like blood, I will make them pure. Point number five, what if I told you that you died with Christ on the cross? When God said, it is finished, what if I told you that the work has been done? Past tense, done. You're not striving for perfection. You already died on the cross. Paul tells us in Galatians 2.20, my favorite verse in the Bible, for I was crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In this life I now live by the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. Paul recognized that it wasn't just Christ who died that day on the cross. That in his, his perfect holy trinity power and, and methods that he coalesced all of humanity and all of its sin with him in that moment. And we all died on that day. That's why we talk about being born again. It already happened. You've already been born again. And that leads me into my final point, the one in which I think there might be some contention and we're going to rest. What if I told you that you already have your A? A lot of us think that life is a test. You're not being graded. It's already done. I said at the beginning of when I got up on stage that I wanted you guys to really live like Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. This is what we're talking about. It's finished. The work has been done. And when I strive for an A, when I strive for a good grade, when I'm, I'm striving for God to be proud of me and to do good works, 
I get burdened with a yoke that is anything but easy and a weight that is anything but light. What if I told you that you already have your A? And we're going to sit on that for a little while. Don't look at the clock. It'll be awkward. But we're going to sit on this. Why are we going to sit on it? Well, I already told you. If I hadn't heard this years ago, I wouldn't be here. I don't just mean a pine castle. I mean, I wouldn't be here. Full stop. I've shared before what what I went through in the 2016, 2017 era. You're going to hear me talk about it today. You're going to hear me talk about it for the rest of my life. Why? Because God showed up and he saved me. And I don't need to shy away from the shame of being suicidal because I'm still here. And so are you. You have not been defeated. How do I know that? You're in this room right now. You're watching online right now. If you're here, you are still more than a conqueror. You are not defeated right now. So here we go. Ah, so many things. So many things. So many things. If you, if you have a problem with, uh, with the idea that God has already given us our A, if you have a problem with the idea that, uh, that the work is finished and that it's done and that we don't need to be striving towards approval, uh, then you might also have a problem with, with Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 has a really nice parable in it that I like because um, our Sunday school that meets is called Vineyard. And the parable in Matthew 20 is about laborers in the vineyard. And so I'm going I'm to summarize this, uh, this, this uh, parable for you so we can get through it kind of quickly. So Jesus is talking and he's sharing about this, this uh, wealthy landowner who, who goes into the market at like 6 a.m. and finds a bunch of people standing around and offers to, to pay them a denarius if they work in his vineyard for the next 12 hours for the rest of the day. They're like, oh, yeah, sweet. We need money today. We get to eat. So they go and they they do that. And and about 9 a.m., about three hours later, he goes back to the market, finds another group of people, offers them to theirs, takes them back to the vineyard. He does it again at noon. He does it again at 3. And then what does Scripture tell us? What does Jesus tell us? He goes back out at 5 p.m. and rounds up a whole other group of people, takes them back to the vineyard. They barely get a chance to work when suddenly there's a big old gong. Work done for the day at 6 p.m., come get paid. What does that that landowner do? He goes to his servant, and he says, bring the people that just arrived, the folks who came here at 5, the folks who have only been working for the last 30 minutes, bring them here, pay them a Daenerys. So he does. And everyone else, what are they thinking? They're like, oh, man, they were only here for an hour. If they're getting a Daenerys... Think about what I'm going to get. Payday. So what do they do? They, they, they go up there, and then they get paid a Daenerys. And then the next group goes up. And eventually you got the people who have been there since 6 a.m., and they only get paid a Daenerys, and they're unhappy. I'm going to pause right here. How many of you, when you read this story, you're just like, uh, it's not fair. Like, you kind of like, we kind of groan along with them. We're like, yeah, actually, that doesn't make sense. Do you know why? Because most of us instinctively relate to the people who got there at 6 a.m. Friends, that's not who we are in this story. We're the people that got there at 545. None of us have been there all day. We're all last minute. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he says, what, are you going to be angry at me because I'm generous? I agreed to pay you a Daenerys. You're getting a Daenerys. I agreed to pay them one. They're getting one. See, in my kingdom, the first will be last, and the last will be first. It's not about how long you've been working. It's not about the quality of your work. His generosity, his grace, his mercy is for everyone. We got so much more to go because I, I, can, I can sense there's still some, some hesitation here. Some of you are still skeptical. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. 
And as we get there, I... I just, I keep being reminded of the fact that the system in the Old Testament used to be so different. All the laws, all the sacrifices, all the things we had to do. And Jesus said, you know, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. Why? Because in the law, everything meant you had to sacrifice something, and he was a perfect sacrifice, so he fulfills the law, the requirements of the law. And then Paul says in Romans that we are no longer under the law, we are under grace. So when I say, what if I told you you already have your A, if I could kind of co-op what Paul is saying here, and change it a little bit, I might say that uh, you're no longer under grade, you're under grace. You're no longer under a grading system, you're under a gracing system. Jesus was saying, you can't do it. The Israelites failed, so I'm just going to give it to you. Why? Because he loves us. You know, I made the, the classic pastoral mistake telling everyone to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and I didn't get there first. So now y'all have to wait for me. <laughs> it's probably going to, oh, it's not going to pop up on the screen because I didn't tell them about this. I kept everything a secret, but we're almost there. Here we go. Oh, there's James. There's Peter. There's Revelation. Went too far. Anyone ever uh, use that table of contents in their Bible? I do. <laughs> it's so big. It's so big. I'm never going to memorize this whole thing. I say that, but there's legitimately people who have memorized it, and that makes me feel bad about myself. But then I remember the sermon that I'm preaching to you right now, and I stop feeling bad about myself. Ephesians chapter 2. <laughs> what I'm telling you right now is the most encouraging thing that I ever learned about myself. And if you listen and if you accept this truth, be the most encouraging thing you ever learn about yourself too. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. I want you to, to kind of uh, think about what I just read. Think about a letter grade. The sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature objects of wrath. Letter grade. Anyone? F. F minus. Objects of wrath, automatic fail. Okay. But, but Paul is doing here the same thing that almost every single person who worked on the New Testament, who wrote it, almost the exact same thing. And there's a bunch of fancy words like vertical, imperative, and horizontal, indicative, and I'm not going to, I'm throwing those out there so you know that I know them, but I'm not going to bother explaining them because they don't matter. So what is he doing? He's doing the same thing that a jeweler did, men, when you went out and bought a ring for your wife. When you look at the glass case and you point to one, what do they do? Do they pull it out and just set it on the glass case? No. They pull it out. They lay a little strip of black velvet on the glass. They put the ring on the velvet. Why? Because the contrast of the black cloth makes the diamond pop. That's what Paul's doing. Object of wrath, black velvet. Diamond, God's grace. Paul is showing us, and, and this is all over the New Testament. I'm not super special for like figuring it out. Okay, it's all over the New Testament. There's, a, there's this black contrast to the grace of God, and it's that we are objects of wrath. My second favorite word in the Bible, next to mysterion, which I talked about back in December, is the word but. Because it's almost always followed by God, and it's almost always preceded by some way that we have failed. You are objects of wrath, but God. It's one of the most hopeful things in, in Scripture, even as the rest. <clears throat> so, 
let's, uh, let, let's, let's continue here uh, in, in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I had a friend when he was uh, about 11 years old. Uh, him and his friend uh, ran uh, to a, a, they lived in like this, this compound in England. I say compound, but I, just, I can't remember the right word, but it's like a, like a military base, effectively, where there was all the families living there. And, and he went with his friend, and they went to uh, this, this older uh, lady whose husband was the commanding officer of the base, and she had a garden on their property, and they went and they stole a bunch of her peas because they wanted to make pea soup. They were like 10 years old. Uh, they also didn't realize that they needed hot water, so they literally filled a bucket with a hose in the front yard and dumped the peas in and were just like stirring it when, when, when she happened to walk by. And I'm not going to try and do an English accent because it's going to be really bad. Uh, but she was like, where did you get those peas? And they were like, uh, from your garden? And then, and then she looks at, at, at my friend and she tells him to go home. So he gets home. By the time he gets home, his dad had already heard because she had called him because that's what parents do. And he sends him upstairs, and, uh, and, and he, he likes to joke that he went upstairs for the next 14 years. Well, maybe not, but it felt that way. So he gets upstairs, and his dad comes up there, and he sits down, and we'll call my friend uh, Pete, because that's his name. And, and, he, and so his dad was like, so Pete, did you steal the, the piece? Yes, dad, I stole the piece. Well, what do you deserve? I deserve a spanking. Assume the position. Pete had done this many times. So he stands up, he bends over. Nothing. Dad says, Pete, sit down. You know, you're right, you do deserve a spanking. I'm not going to give it to you. What? Yep, not going to give it to you. Oh, why? Well, Pete, it's called mercy. Mercy is not getting something that you deserve. Oh, I like mercy, Dad. Me too, Pete. As a matter of fact, uh, do you think we should get some ice cream? What? Do you want some ice cream? Yeah. Well, why would you give me ice cream? He's like, well, that's called grace. Grace is giving you something you don't deserve. The last thing you deserve is some ice cream, but I'm going to get it for you. Why? Because I love you and I choose to. Mercy and grace. Mercy, not getting something you deserve. Grace, getting something you don't deserve. If you don't believe me, read John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall what? Not perish, mercy, but inherit eternal life, grace. We don't perish, and instead we get something we don't deserve. You see, see, grace is this thing that we desperately need, we don't deserve, that we can't possibly earn. Grace tells us that God loves us now. Grace tells us that he loves us perfectly. Why? Why does God love us perfectly? Because his love is not predicated on your performance, but on his character. You can't do anything to make him love you more. You can't do anything to make him love you less. He loves you today perfectly because it's based on him, not you. Man, if someone was watching this sermon and not hearing it, they'd probably think I'm like really giving it to you guys. <laughs> but really, it's like, guys, like, like, stand up and shout and party. Like, like, God loves you so much. He has given you so much that you don't deserve, that I don't deserve. So I'm, I'm going I'm to keep reading because the, the time is, is fleeting so quickly. Uh, starting in, in verse 6. Uh, so by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might know the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. And we're going to read the last verse in a second because I have another story for you. 
I got a lot of stories. Are you guys doing okay? Are are y'all okay if I go for like another like 30 seconds or like a lot? Awesome. So, (laughs) so, so, so this, this, this passage, what, what am I reading here in Ephesians 2? What am I hearing? I'm hearing God say that I've already given you your A. I had a class in uh, college on evangelism. I did not like this class. I know, it sounds awful. And then, then of course, uh, uh, God actually called me into evangelistic ministry after college. But, but I hated this class. I hated it for a few reasons. Uh, one of which is, is um, uh, I'm going to share with you. Uh, it was actually what you would think would be a fantastic interaction. So we had this thing where we had to go and, and actually do evangelism. Crazy, I know. Um, so <laughs> we, would, we would basically, we would go out, we'd interact with some people, we'd write a report that week, and we'd turn it into the teacher. Uh, so there was this, uh, this, this uh, mall in, in Tulsa, and I, I didn't really like going out. I, it was just kind of like a thing, and I just did it, but I didn't enjoy it. And so I get to the mall, and I'm looking around, and I'm just like, mm. I know, super spirit-led the whole thing. Um, and I noticed there's this woman at this, uh, this kiosk, you know, like, um, those little like pop-up things in the mall where if you get close enough, they grab you and start buffing your fingers, you know, like that group, uh, you laugh because you felt my pain. Um, and so I, I found her and I was like, I'm going to flip the script, you know, and, and she looked bored out of her skull. So I walked up and I was like, Hey, how you doing? You know, da, 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 da. and we had a little bit of small talk back and forth. And I was like, Hey, can I ask you a few questions? And she said, Sure. I was like, all right, so do you believe in heaven? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that there's, there's a heaven. Okay, okay. Uh, do you think you're going? She goes, I think I've got a pretty good shot. And I said, okay, well, uh, do you think heaven is a perfect place? She goes, um, yeah, that, that makes sense. I'd say heaven's probably a, a perfect place because it's heaven, right? I'm like, yeah, that's great. Um, okay, so have you lived a perfect life? And, and she goes, well, I've done pretty good, and I haven't killed anybody. She said that. It was really weird. I felt really uncomfortable in that moment, like maybe she had, and she was lying. <laughs> I got a little bit sweaty, but I pushed through. And, uh, and so I said, okay, so, so you're telling me you believe in heaven. You believe that heaven is perfect. You admit that you have not lived a perfect life. What makes you think you can go there without wrecking the whole thing? And she just looked at me like, If what you're saying is true, then no one can go there. I was like, bingo. And then, and then she was like, well, no one's perfect. And I was like, nope. And she was like, like, how could anyone ever go there? And I was like, well, let me tell you about this one guy. All right. And you just walk her through the gospel, walk her through scripture. She, she prays to receive Christ. And I'm just like, what? This was just a class assignment I didn't want to do. So I go home, I write the report, I turn it in. You know what I get? A C. <laughs> the teacher said I was being manipulative. I was like, she's going to spend eternity in glory. Come on. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't like that class. Um, <laughs> that being said, yes, that was very manipulative and it was incorrect. And please don't copy that. That is not a proper way to talk to someone about Jesus. Because the answer isn't that you're not perfect. Because the second part of you already have your A, the part I'm really excited to talk to you about is the part that I think you're gonna have the most pushback on. What if I told you you're already perfect? I know some of you are immediately like, well, yeah, probably me, but we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there and I'm gonna show you in scripture uh, how we see that. So uh, verse 10, The verse I said we were going to come back to in a second. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. When do the works come? I'm listening. After grace. The works come after salvation. The works come after God does the work in us. You are not working for an A. You're working from an A. You already have your approval. You already have your grade. It's perfect. 
You see, there's, there's a few uh, verses there in that Ephesians chapter 2 that, that I love. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Greek language so that you can be on the same page with me. If any of you ever study Greek, you might know about different tenses, and you might know about the aorist tense, A-O-R-I-S-T. You can look it up later. And there's, there's a couple moments where it uses that. Um, let's see here. Uh, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. That making, that made us, that's in the aorist tense. I'm going to explain why that's important in a second. So that in ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us uh, in, in Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. That's also in the aorist tense. And there's one other. And I'm looking at my notes because I'm like, where did I put it? Where did I put it? There it is. Okay. We're getting there. Because of his great love with which he loved us, when we were dead, he made us alive and he raised us up. Raised. Aorist. What is the aorist tense? It's a specific form of past tense that some people would say is punctiliar. That's a big fancy word. What does it mean? It means a point in time. What Paul is saying is that all of these things happened already. You've already been made perfect. You've already been raised up with him. And you are with him in heaven now. So what is the what is the, the Bible saying? The Bible's saying that you're already in heaven, but you're here on earth. But scripture also tells us that we're hidden with Christ on high. So what is Paul saying, really? The reason you guys resonated with that story about that evangelism class is because you recognize that heaven is perfect. And we feel that we aren't. What Paul is saying, in the spirit, you're in heaven right now. You're perfect. I know. It feels weird. It feels uncomfortable. But it's true. It's a reality that you get to walk in every day. You already have your A. You don't need to try so hard. The good works come out of the A. They don't get you your A. It's a free gift that none may boast. There shouldn't be any boasting in the church, guys. It's not false humility when I say that I'm not the best preacher. Like, I'm being silly, yes, and I'm, I'm looking for a laugh, yes, because I enjoy a good joke. But going back to what I shared in December, it's not about me. And it's not me. I pray to God that it's never me up here. It needs to be him. And in your lives, it needs to be him every single time you get up, every time you go to work. I'm going to end with this story. I can hear the stomachs growling from here. This is going to tie it back into December. And, and when I talked about the indwelling Christ, we read about in Colossians and Galatians. When I was in Sunday school, I had a Sunday school teacher that did magic tricks, much like Sandra. It's like, I'm just saying, 100 years ago, they would have like strung you up for witchcraft. Um, <laughs> it's amazing some of the stuff that she does and the, the illustrations she, she's able to, to draw out. Like, like, I feel like all of us love it just as much as the kids do. And I know that I, I still do. <laughs> hey, let's give Sandra a hand. She's amazing. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much, because like the kids, I, I hate it when people say kids are the next generation, because they're not. They're today's generation. Kids can do so much. Jesus was in single-digit age when he told his parents, didn't you know I had to be about my father's work? I know we're not Jesus, but we're supposed to try to be like him, right? It's another distraction, sorry. We're going to get back to my story here. I had a Sunday school teacher who was uh, into magic tricks, 
And one Sunday, he pulls out a glove. And you know what he says? He says, this is a magic glove. Here, it's really good at doing what I tell it to do. And he says, kids, watch. Glove, pick up the Bible. And all of us are like, Because up until this point, everything that he said, it's like it's happened. So we're just like, holy crap. And we're waiting. And he's like, all right, sometimes it gets a little shy. Like, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. They're, they're friendly. They're friendly. Glove, pick up the Bible. And we're just like, waiting with bated breath. And he's like, okay, uh, you know, I think, it, I think it might need a little bit of help. So we're just going to, I'm just going to talk to it real quick. And I'm going to be like, hey, man, you know, it's, it's okay. Like, I know you're nervous. I know you're kind of shy. But, uh, you know, the kids really want to see you uh, do that. So, uh, you know, I just, I just want you to know, like, this glove can do it, okay? Glove, pick up the Bible. <laughs> You're much nicer than we were. There is, there, is an, there is an exchange student from England in the youth group, and he goes, Do you think we're stupid? It wasn't the glove, it was the end inside the glove. Now you know why I don't do an English accent. And you know what he says? He says, exactly. It wasn't the glove, it was the hand inside it. For I was crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In this life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. Like a glove is made in the image of a hand, we are made in the image of our creator and he dwells inside of us. How pathetic would it be for a glove to boast? Can't do anything without the hand inside of it. I can't do anything without Christ in me, John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know what that means? That means that all of the things that I think I need to do, all of the good works that I think are going to earn me the A, I actually can't do them no matter how hard I try. And the only success I have is by the grace of Christ. And he's also the one who's given me the A. Folks, you need to recognize God has rigged this in your favor because he loves you so much. I'll tell you a story about Jim Bob. It has to do with the glove. So I didn't lie to you. This is all one story. Jim Bob was a... Southern gentleman. By that, I mean he had a really big beard gut, and he loved going to the bar and getting in trouble. And so, so he does. And so, um, you know, he, uh, he picks a lot of fights. And uh, so in this corner, we got Jim Bob. And in this corner, Satan played by Darth Vader. <laughs> Whoop, I messed up my headset. Glory, hallelujah, it's fixed. So we got, we got pretended Satan, okay. It's, I feel like if I actually pulled out like, like, a, like a little action figure of Satan, I might be like in trouble. So it's Vader, but it's, it's Satan. So you got, you, got, you got Satan over here, and you got Jim Bob by himself. A great glove. And fight. Ding, 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 ding. That didn't go too well. That didn't go too well. Jim Bob gets the lights beat out of him. Goes home, licks his wounds, which is a really weird saying, by the way. Don't do that. And some people talk to him about Jesus. He gets to know Jesus. Eventually, he surrenders his life to him. He goes back to that same bar, this time not to drink, although I'm not making a statement about alcohol in the church, because that's not what the sermon is about. Goes to the, he goes to the bar, and who does he encounter? Darth Vader. Sorry, Satan, yes. This time, Satan sees him, and he's like, well, you look the same, but kind of different. In this corner, Satan. In this corner, Jim Bob. Indwelled with Christ. Ding, 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 ding. What an incredible glove. 
No! What an incredible Savior. Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. You are so good. Thank you that you have given us the A. You've done the work. It is finished. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you have shown me, the grace that you've shown each of us. Thank you that that you're here and that you love us. I love you, Lord. I do have to say, I, uh, I do have one more thing I need to share, and I apologize. I forgot until I was praying, and I felt like God reminded me. Otherwise, I would have let you go just now with a blessing. But if you can, if you can stay for two more minutes, I want to tell you about a time that my life was changed because of what I just taught you. I got to a point where I realized I wasn't supposed to be doing it all. In fact, I was supposed to be doing none of it. When I preached in December, I shared that there are three things that I do, and at a period of time in my life, I did all of them poorly. I was a preacher, I worked in HR, and I was a wife, uh, wow, I was a husband to my wife, Hannah. <laughs> that's that's going to get clipped and shared on the internet. I was a husband to my wife, Hannah. And I wasn't doing too great at it. And because I wasn't doing too great at it, one of the things that I really pride myself on, giving good gifts, I love giving people the right gift. It's, it's, it's fun seeing their face light up. When you give someone the right gift, they feel like you've heard them, that you see them. And in this phase of my life, I was doing really terrible at giving my wife good gifts. And her birthday was coming up. And I was so just done with being a failure that I was like, you know what, God? You get her the gift. If you're in me and this stuff is real, then you do it. And one day I went to, to the gym where I was working out at a, a crunch fitness, free plug. And while I was there, I had my music on my phone on shuffle. And the complete opposite of a workout song comes on the radio, in my ear, randomly while I was working out. And I want you guys to listen to a clip of this song that I had never heard before in my entire life. It was new to me in this moment, so let's, let's listen for a moment to this song. you to imagine for a second that I'm on a bench doing like 30 pounds, really struggling, and I'm met with the dulcet tones of Matthew Ward's love song that he had written for his wife for their anniversary. I had no idea who Matthew Ward was, and I hear this song, and I feel like God say, John, give that to your wife. And I was like, that doesn't cost anything. He's like, doesn't have to. I was like, okay. So we, we go out to eat for, for breakfast at our favorite spot in town on our birthday. And we get there and we've ordered so we know that we have a few minutes before we get all bothered or whatever by the, the wait staff. And I've got my AirPods, so I, I hand her one and I put the other in my ear and I hit play. She had not heard this song either. But the second the word started, we both got a little emotional. And then she started crying, and I was like, oh no. 
Because when she cries, I cry immediately. Like, I can't not at that point. And she, she reaches out, and she, we, we hold the hands, and she pulls me close. Listen to the song together. And I think I remember her saying, this is the best gift you've ever given me. To which I thought, of course it is. It's the only gift I haven't given you. But isn't our God good? And a loving God. This isn't just theology, guys. This is life. Practical life. And it will change your lives. Thank you for (laughs) indulging me and going a little bit over this morning. Would you stand for the benediction? Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, present you faultless before the throne of his great mercy and love, the only wise God, our Savior, be power and authority and dominion and might now and forever. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday.